recording is from Parramatta Christian Church. We pray that this message inspires you in your walk with Christ. Thank you. It's good to, good to be back. Um, <clears throat> I'm not quite sure why... Hill regards me as a mentor or he keeps asking me back, but uh, it's good to be with you. Uh, thank you, David, for that reading. Hill asked and said, well, I said, I'm sort of speaking from Isaiah 40, and he said, well, which verses? I said, well, I'm not quite sure where we're going to stop. You, you can pick the pieces, so he, he chose the whole lot. So well done. Thank you for that. And Hill sitting here underlining, highlighting the whole of the chapter, so... <clears throat> Oh, there's a couple missed. So which bits should I miss? But anyway, it's uh, good to be with you. Uh, good to have those of you who are online, uh, those of you who are still in bed in your pyjamas. Um, but as we uh, start, this, is a, this really is a great passage and it's one of those hardly we have to speak on. We can just read it and sit with it. Uh, but we're going to look at it this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, grass withers, flowers are beautiful but temporary and fade away, but your word lasts forever. And we thank you that we can, day after day, turn to this word and derive comfort and hope from it. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that these ancient words that you caused to write, to be written, that you would write them upon our hearts this morning. We pray that you would impress these truths upon us. We pray that you would make us humble enough to receive what you want us to hear, that you would unlock our ears so that we might hear you speak into our lives. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think of a time when you were in a fairly desperate situation and you needed someone to comfort you. And maybe you were blessed because you had a friend who came along and maybe they just sat there and held your hand and didn't utter words, but you were comforted. Or maybe that friend gave you a hug which meant so much and you felt something between them. Or maybe they wrapped their arm around you and they prayed with you and they prayed for you and you felt comforted. Maybe they simply sat and listened while you offloaded. They didn't say anything, they didn't judge you, they didn't lecture you, but they just listened and you were comforted. Maybe they did speak and they were words of healing and hope and wisdom and you felt comforted. Or maybe as you reached out to someone, you had that horrible experience where they just didn't seem to understand what you were going through and you walked away feeling even more lonely and more hurt and more alone. This morning, our reading started off with these words. Not reaching. Battery's up. On, off. 
Uh, we started off with these words while that's going to come up. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Or the word actually says, uh, speak tenderly to your heart. Speak to your heart. Speak to Jerusalem. And when it's saying Jerusalem, often in the Old Testament, it's not just talking about the city, but it's talking about the people of God. So Jerusalem here is God's people. God is speaking to his people. But for us to make sense of this passage, uh, we need to go back because so many of the Old Testament passages are really complex and confusing and I'm sure that's why sometimes we don't read the Old Testament as much as we should. So let me just take you on a little bit of a history of what is happening here in Jerusalem at this time. Back in chapter uh, 36, there is this description of the invasion by the country of Assyria. Now, Assyria was this country to the north which was the superpower of the time. Hezekiah is the king in Judah. He's a good king. We're going to come to him in a moment. But these are truly troubled times. If ever God's people needed a word of comfort, they needed comfort at now, at this time. And so uh, Assyria is this massive nation to the north. Uh, what we call Israel has actually been divided into two, the 12 tribes, the, the, the 10 northern tribes that generally get called Israel, the southern tribes, Judah, and that's where God's focus ultimately is. Uh, the Assyrians have taken the 10 tribes into captivity. They've sort of disappeared from the scene. And if the 10 tribes were overthrown, how do you think that the two tribes in the south would be feeling? And so there is this relentless pressure from Assyria bearing down upon them. And the Assyrian king, Sennacherib, sends a, 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 an envoy to go and speak to Hezekiah. And there is this psychological warfare that is going on. And in chapter, chapter 36, the envoy actually asks the question, who are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Don't listen to Hezekiah when he says the Lord is going to help you because the Lord is not going to turn up for you against the Assyrians. That's the context of what is happening. Is, is anyone here from New Zealand? That's okay. Oh, one. Ooh, okay, no, that's okay. Because I was sort of thinking I'm either going to use a, a, an illustration of New Zealand or Sri Lanka. I think I'll stay with the New Zealanders, Okay. Maybe the second service I can get away with it. <laughs> but I just want to imagine you're in Kiwiland and China's coming to invade you. That's the contrast. That's what is actually happening. And Judah in desperation, the only people that they can look to are the Egyptians and the Egyptians are pretty busted. Now it's like New Zealand looking across to us and saying, hey, cuz, can you come across and help us? And we're thinking, you want us to help you against the Chinese. This is the context. This is why they need comfort. And if that isn't bad enough, then in chapter 38, we read Hezekiah is terminally ill. Hezekiah is one of the few very good kings in Israel. He is king for about 40 years and he is at the point of death. 
And we would be thinking if we were there as God's people, if God is God and God cares for his people, why is God allowing this to happen to our leader? He is the last person and the first person that we need. He's the man between us and God and yet God it appears that God is actually going to take him away from us. And so then there is this miraculous healing of Hezekiah and Hezekiah is, is healed. But it's a reminder, isn't it, as so much of the Old Testament, where remember that passage in Isaiah, my ways are not your ways. And from a human point of view, we would want a strong king, we would want a godly king, and that's what they had in Hezekiah. But God even goes to take him away. And then when we get to chapter 39, it's on the horizon. And so the earlier chapters are looking back to what has been done to God's people and God says, it's been bad in the past, but let me tell you what's going to happen in the future. Because after the Assyrians will come the Babylonians. But the Babylonians aren't yet a superpower and Hezekiah invites them down and says, come down, check out the place. And he tries to be friendly with them. But then the Babylonians are the ones that take the two tribes into captivity. And then after them, God raises the Persians, Cyrus, and God's plan continues. And so we see that in the midst of all of this context, when God speaks, he says, comfort to my people. No matter what is going on in the world, he says, you are still my people. The phrase that I kept hearing this morning, those of you who are up the front, you're talking to church. Church is my people. God looks at you and he says, you are my people. My people and your God. I'm not sure if you're aware that there is this covenant promise that runs through the whole of the Bible and it's often summed up in the phrase, I will be your God, you'll be my people, and I will live in your midst. And so the significance of all of that is that we see in the beginning of John's gospel, when John records that Jesus came, what did he do? He lived among us or he tabernacled among us, or he took up residence with us. That's part of God saying, you are my people, and I am your God. So let's look at, I've got three lessons, I think, that come out of this, that relate to this whole theme. How does God bring comfort to his people? Now, in our circumstances, we're not really worried anymore about the Assyrians or the Babylonians or the Persians, or after them it was the Greeks and then it was the Romans, and it just goes on and on and on against God's people. We are still God's people, and he is still our God. Uh, as we look back just at this past year, uh, we will be telling people for generations about 2020, uh, we started the year off so excited with all of the plans and things that we were going to do. Uh, we had a great year planned. And by the time we got to March, April, everything went belly up and then we were thinking it's going to be another, just a month or two and we'll be all back into it again. 
and it sort of becomes semi-permanent. Uh, for some of you, it meant work changed. Some of you worked from home. Some of you studied from home. Some of you loved it. Some of you hated it. Some of you weren't able to travel. Some of you weren't able to have relatives come. Some of you couldn't get to see family. who would have been sick or died. And there's all of that dislocation that the pandemic has caused. But there is this reminder that in the midst of this, God is still working. Uh, Just as the COVID pandemic was starting to unroll, uh, there were a group of uh, folk from other churches, just a small group of us would meet in our church once a month to pray. And so COVID was coming on the scene and uh, in this pre-meeting, I I was actually fairly a bit disturbed by it, but a couple of people who were in in the prayer time, uh, I would describe as yelling and shouting at God and telling God what he should be doing regarding COVID. And I sort of, even at the time, was thinking, should we be telling God what he should be doing or should we be asking God what he wants us to learn out of this? Now, their prayers weren't answered. But I think God has been teaching his church, but the whole world certain things, that we are far weaker than we think that we are. The pandemic is this confrontation and suffering and full of sickness and death and in desperate need of restoration and renewal. And God is calling out to us to turn back to him and to lean into him and to trust him. And so the first lesson, I think, from this passage, when God offers comfort to us, he says, think for a moment, who am I? What am I like? And he asks a series of about 10 questions. Who has measured out in the hollow of his hand? Who has directed the spirit? Have you not heard? Have you not? Do you not know? To whom will you compare God? What likeness will you set up? So he keeps asking these questions as he paints this picture of us. I don't know if you've seen the DVD of, uh, sorry, of, um, oh, sorry. (coughs) Sorry, see, I, I, I have a headset. Of, uh, was it Louis Giglio's of the, the indescribable and it just keeps building this picture and gets bigger and bigger and bigger and it gets bigger, we get smaller and smaller and smaller. And so I think that's what Isaiah 40 is wanting us to see, that we are very, very small and God is very, very big. And he starts building these facts about God and even the nations who are the threatening nations, the Assyrians and the Uh, the Babylonians and so forth. What's the description? He says, they are just like dust on the scale. And there's this image of these great superpowers and God just goes and blows the dust off the scales. That's how big our God is. And he uses the language of grass, grasshoppers, flowers. Yet God, he says, is sitting above all of this massive creation and he looks down 
and we are so small and he is so big. And the passage tells us that he places all of the stars in place and he knows the stars by name. The astronomers still haven't counted all the stars. They haven't even counted all the universes. And they just give stars numbers, by and large. But you don't have a number. You have a name. And your father knows you by name. That's what brings comfort to us. A friend of mine, a um, friend of ours actually, introduced me to a concept of uh, what is described sometimes as intellectual theology. Uh, intellectual theology is just that accumulation of facts that we all have. We all have random facts. Uh, but we also have a whole lot of religious theological facts. Theology is simply the study of God, the knowledge of God. And so if I say Jesus is Lord, that's a theological fact. If I say Jesus rose from the dead, that's a theological fact. But as my friend Josh says, you see, you, we, we have intellectual theology, but what you, we also need functional theology. That fact, as we talked about sacrifice before, needs to go from our heads to our heart. We don't separate the two. But it's as we put this into practice, uh, there's no point arguing about the days of creation and the length of creation and the times of creation. What is important is that God, creator, is involved in your life now and brings meaning and purpose to life. And so as you think about this reigning God, whatever term that you want to use, a big God, a supreme God, a sovereign God, a great God, an indescribable God, is this the God not just in your head but with your heart you are trusting in and you are taking comfort in? We need a very big God. We need a powerful God. But Isaiah here reminds us that God not only is this incredibly big God, a reigning God, a supreme God, a sovereign God, but he's a redeeming God. Now God's people have been taken into captivity. The ten tribes were taken off because of their disobedience. The next two tribes will be taken off into, disobedience, into captivity because they have not learnt the lesson either. And even though God graciously has warned them over and over again, that God is going to bring them into judgment. And so God speaks in verse 40, in, in chapter 40, verse uh, 2, that a time of forced labour is over, her iniquity has been pardoned, and she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. You see, even though there is sinfulness and disobedience and rebellion, God brings comfort because he is a redeeming, rescuing, restoring God. He paints this picture of this great highway coming to Jerusalem. Now sometimes, I'm not quite sure what you, some of you might believe, uh, there are some folk who believe that this is going to be a, a literal highway that's going to be built into Jerusalem. Uh, some think that uh, this is the highway that we need to hop on to traverse to get to Jerusalem. But that's not actually what it's saying. Look at it carefully. It's saying, that God is going to build this highway for the Lord so that the Lord will be able to come to his people. That God has opened up the access and made it easy for God to come to us. And so when John the Baptist came, he's fulfilling this. 
He's preparing the way so that the Lord might come to us. That God in Christ might come and rescue us. Do you find comfort? Because you know that your sins have been pardoned. That you are accepted not because of your goodness but because of the goodness of Jesus. Do you know maybe you have stumbled along the way and maybe you are feeling distant from God but God is the one who builds this bridge and reaches into your life and says, I want you back. That's the Father heart of God. That's what brings us comfort. And then the third is that we are comforted by our restoring God. There's two opposite pictures that are painted here. The first is that we have this God who appears to be beyond creation, this supreme God, this God who is so so different to anything that we know or can see or feel, a God who at one level might seem remote, but then he paints this picture of a God who's very near to us, a God who is very close to us. And he ends by with these verses, to those who hope, now I'll go back a couple of verses before that picture. Uh, Verse 28, have you not known, have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God? We're just like grass, we're like flowers, but the Lord is everlasting, the creator of the whole earth. He never becomes weary or faint. There is no limit to his understanding. And then he paints this picture. Some of us can only, if long-term memory kicks in, we remember what it was like to be young. Those of you who are young know to be fit and healthy and invincible. You can run forever and not get weary. Some of you are shaking your head. And so he picks paints a picture of the peak of humanity when we are in our youth. And he's saying, but even youth, even young people get weary and tired. Wait until you're ancient and decrepit. (laughs) He said, God is not like that. And that as we lean into God, that he renews our strength when we are tired, when we are weary, whether physically or spiritually or emotionally. We need a God and we need to admit that we cannot uh, go on our own. And then there is this lovely, lovely picture that I often use as I'm sharing with people. This picture of God taking a lamb next to his chest and holding it. This is the contrast to to that creator God. Sometimes we we want the, the picture of God of the warm and fuzzy, cuddly, teddy bear God. We need that. That's okay. There are times when we need that. But if your God is only a warm and cuddly, teddy bear God, let me tell you, he will not bring real comfort when you need it. You also need the big and powerful, supreme, sovereign, creator God. But if your God is only the supreme, sovereign, creator God and not the warm, cuddly God, he'll be the distant God. The last few weeks, our daughter and uh, her two little girls have been with us. Uh, Her husband's working interstate at present. 
uh, and the eldest of them is only 17 months. Uh, and it's sort of one of those blessing times and uh, it's lovely to see them go and then they go and then we want them to come back. Uh, Isla's only 17 months and she is out there uh, full of beans. Uh, the battery clicks on in the morning and she goes flat out all day. And there are not a lot of things that she's really afraid of. And she's not a cuddly kid. It's a pain to try and get a hug from her. Just gives you a quick kiss. That's it. But there's something about helicopters that she doesn't like. And so we seem to be on a path where we have a lot of helicopters. And she gets quite agitated. And so when she hears the rotors going over, you can see suddenly she starts shaking and she comes up. And do you know what she wants? She wants a hug. And she gets in and her head gets in there and she wraps her arms around and she holds on tight. I think, send another helicopter, Lord. (laughs) And her mother's saying, Dad, Dad, don't do that. She's got to toughen up. She's got to get used to helicopters. But you see, that's, that's what our Heavenly Father wants us to do. When we feel like that, we... It's irrational. It's perfectly safe. But God just wants us to come in and he wants to wrap his arms around us. Is he the person that you turn to when you want comfort? Do you find both that knowledge of the big powerful God as well as the the warm embracing God when your heart is anxious when your faith is being stretched, when you're starting to wonder, where is God in the world, let alone my world? In 1996, uh, an art gallery in the United States had a competition. They wanted a painting on peace. And this was the winning prize by a man called Jack Dawson. And he painted this picture, and if you look at it carefully, there's lightning, black clouds, there's a storm, there's a raging waterfall. But within the cliff face, there is this dove on a nest. And he said, that's peace. You see, we want to take away the storm, the lightning, the thunder, the uncertainty, the waterfalls. We think tranquility is peace. But when God says, comfort, comfort to my people, he's saying, I bring you comfort. This is the world. This is the life. We won't get tranquility until we get to the new heavens and the new earth. But he says, in this chaotic world, I bring you peace and I bring you comfort. We look back. 12 months ago, and we didn't have a clue what was going to happen in 2020. But we still don't have a clue what's going to happen in 2021. But God wants us to keep on pressing on with him, keep on living for him, keep on engaging with him, keep on engaging in our society, keep on building his kingdom here. He still is your father and you are still his child. You are his beloved son. You are his beloved daughter. 
And he says to you, I am your reigning God. I am your redeeming God. I am your restoring God. He is still the God of all comfort and the God of all compassion. And as you have leant into your father's chest and he has wrapped his arms around you and comforted you, he wants you to be a person who comforts others and who brings that life and words of hope and comfort that in the midst of the chaos of the lightning and the storms, the brokenness and bustedness of this world, God is saying, I bring you comfort, but I bring you comfort because I am a big God, I'm a powerful God, I'm a near God, I'm a caring God, and one day, not now, but one day, this world that we suffer in, he says, I'm going to restore and renew, and we will live in a world where there are no more tears, no more crying, no more suffering, no more flu shots. No more COVID injections, but we will reign with him forever. Just take a few moments. Let's just take a few moments to just let those words settle into your hearts. Uh, there might be a verse that step, uh, jumped out at you that you just want to apply to your life. Uh, maybe you look back over the past 12 months and uh, you've experienced God's comfort and you want to just thank him for that. Maybe there's someone special who has brought comfort to your life you want to thank God for. Uh, on the other hand, maybe you've been pretty disturbed over this period and you have not turned to God as the God of all comfort. Just let this passage and these words wash over you and penetrate your heart and then he'll work out. for listening to the Parramatta Christian Church podcast. To hear other sermons or to find out more about our church, please visit our website at pcc.org.au.